You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Morning, church. Readings from Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8. I encourage you to actually close your eyes and just listen because it's an amazing vision that Isaiah was given. And if you want to kind of put yourself in that place, I um, don't mind if anyone's not looking at me, but you've all got your eyes closed as you listen. (laughs) In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Thanks, Robin Ann. Good morning again, everybody. Great reading. Looking forward to diving in that, into that together. Before we get started, uh, I want to share some news. Um, at church, we want to share about what's going on in the life of the church. Um, and we also want to celebrate when there's opportunities to celebrate and give thanks. And I want to let you know that the beautiful people in our congregation, um, Mila and Leandro, and you saw little Sophia up here before she went to kick. Uh, she was up here. Um, they've been pretty much in the process of trying to get permanent residency, a visa, for 10 years. And it's a, it's a pretty brutal process. Any of you who are not from Australia will be familiar with that. Incredible news. Their PR came through last week after a 10-year battle. So praise God. It's such good news. Such good news. We've been journeying with these guys for a long time. Sending up prayers. Can you please pray? It doesn't don't know if it's going to go through. So thank you for sharing that with us. And and hey, thank you, God, for for his provision. These guys are going to be sticking around. It's amazing, amazing news. You probably know this. Um, Until the 16th century, Western thinkers believed our solar system looked like this. The astronomical theories of a guy called Ptolemy, you probably know that, um, that led many to believe the Earth was located at the centre of the universe with uh, other planets, the sun and other stars revolving around it. I think this kind of agrees with our very human idea that we're at the centre of things. Don't you reckon? Yeah, that makes sense. We're at the centre of the entire universe. It's good for our egos. Well, uh, in 1530, Copernicus discovered the Earth, in fact, rotated around the sun. 
This was a huge reversal of perspective and many people in his day, including the church, although a lot of those reports are greatly exaggerated, but a lot of people weren't particularly happy with this revelation. Big shock to the system, a big change of perspective, thinking the earth is not at the centre of the universe. It isn't actually, but it's just one planet in, in the solar system that revolves around the sun with the other planets. Now, we are currently in our series, Teach Us to Pray, a series in the Lord's Prayer. We're in our second week in the Lord's, and the Lord's Prayer does to human ideas about prayer what Copernicus did to astronomical theory. Dave, what are you talking about? When teaching his disciples to pray, Jesus changes our perspective completely. Who is at the center of things? Completely turns things on its head. What is at the center is not what we might expect. Let's think about the structure of the Lord's Prayer for a moment. It begins with an introductory line, our Father in heaven. We looked at that last week. And then the rest of the Lord's Prayer is two triplets, two triplets made up of three lines each. What's the first triplet? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do you notice about those first three lines? What do you notice? Not a lot to do with us, right? Not a lot to do with no requests of God, no laundry list of items, please can I have that, so on and so forth. We don't write a mention until the second triplet. Give us our daily bread, forgive those who sin against us, lead us, forgiving of us, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So what does this teach us about prayer? A lot, but, but primarily it teaches us prayer is not so much about what we can ask of God, but more how we relate to God, okay? Not so much about what we can get, what we can ask, bring our request to, but more about actually how we relate to him, uh, the pastor and the author, Paul Tripp, wrote this. I thought this was great. Prayer is about something vastly bigger and more beautiful than laying before God your personal wish list for the day because your life is meant to be about something bigger. Prayer is in itself a recognition that something exists in the world that is greater and more glorious than you. I like that. In Rick Warren's best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, the first line is this, it's not about you. <laughs> Confronting, it's, it's not about you. He says, the purpose of your life is far greater than your personal fulfillment, peace of mind, or even your happiness. Bold, but true. What do you think about that? Now, give me a moment before you tune out, please. Give me a moment. Because you might be thinking, oh, here we go. Here comes the beat up. Here comes the preacher man, you know, beating me up. I'm worthless. I'm a sinner. Yeah, God's awesome. I'm nothing in comparison to him. And I'm selfish and self-centered. And yeah, all that's true. No, I, just give me a moment before you tune out and nap, okay? Give me a moment. I am saying, yeah, we can be self-centered in our lives. And I am saying we can be self-centered when it comes to prayer. But what I'm saying is this. Jesus teaches us a better way. And here, here is, here's the point. It's for our good. You are better off for it. What do I mean by that? Jesus 
He's not anti-joy, anti-flourishing, anti-our well-being, okay? He is the exact opposite. He wants to give us true and lasting joy. And that, that leads to genuine flourishing. And that is what he promises if we lift our eyes away from ourselves towards him. This happens when we worship him and not ourselves or anything else because everything else disappoints. You see where I'm going with this? When Jesus is also teaching us when we first align ourselves to who God is, his awesomeness, his glory, when we worship him like that, it changes. The second half of the Lord's Prayer, what we pray, it changes our request because our perspective is different. The fact that God is at the center of the universe and not us and that he deserves to be hallowed and not us, it actually brings us sweet freedom. Do you believe that? Worshipping God is sweet freedom. It gives us an incredible perspective. That's what I'm excited about exploring this morning and in this series. I hope you are too. So as we started the series last week, what do we do? We humbly asked Jesus to teach us to pray. Jesus' disciples go to him, see him in prayer and say, Lord, teach us to pray. You might have been a Christian for decades or a day. You may not even call yourself a Christian yet, but you might be intrigued. If I were to pray, how would I pray? Last week, we looked at the most important thing, who we come to, what we think about God when we pray is everything. And he is our loving father, our dad, an intimate relationship is possible between us and God. That's who we come to, not a stern headmaster, not a distant, uncaring parent, a kind and loving father who wants to hear from his children. And this morning, today, we're going to ask, what does it mean when Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name? What does that mean? How would that change our prayer lives when we really understand what that means? Well, let's explore that by asking three questions, all right? What does it mean? What does hallowed be your name mean? Why should we do it? And how could we possibly do it? Let's firstly look at what does hallowed mean? What, what is the next slide there? We'll get there in a minute. Okay, what does hallowed mean? Hallowed is just another word for holy. May your name be thought of as holy. Hallowed be your name. May your name be thought of as holy. Now let's unpack that word. What comes to mind when you think about that word, when you hear it? You might think maybe in a negative way, someone being holier than thou. I wouldn't like to be described as that. Someone's holier than thou. Someone who takes pride in living a more moral life than you and maybe looks down on you. These people aren't usually very fun to be around, especially at parties. You might also be thinking of nuns or monks, you know, people who live just vastly different lives from us, who've separated themselves from it. Oh, they, they, they might be holy. What does that word mean? Those thoughts are a little unhelpful when we think about God as holy. Folks, holy isn't lame. I grew up thinking to be holy is to be lame. It's far from lame. Is lame a word people even use anymore, young people? No, okay. It's not. Holy is the most used word in the Bible to describe God. 
Now, God is many things all at the same time. Yep. He is love, just, he's merciful, he is eternal, he's all-knowing, and so on. And this word holy summarizes his character in all its uniquely transcendent moral perfection and glory. It's a mouthful. (laughs) It emphasizes just how utterly awesome he is and how much greater he is than us. Now, here's a question. What would it be like to meet this God, to come face to face with him, to encounter him? What would that be like? Well, let's have a look at someone who experienced that, Isaiah. In our reading, read so well for us by Rob and Ann, let's have a look here. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to briefly have a look through it as we ask these questions. What does hallowed mean? Why should we would do that? And how would we do it? Let's have a look. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah is a priest spending time in the temple praying to God, and he has this vision, this encounter with God. He encounters the living God. God, of course, is spirit, and in this, but in this instance, he manifests himself in a way that we can understand as a king. He's sitting on an enormous throne, And the train of his robe, when I was growing up, I heard this, I thought a literal train was attached to his garment. It just means that the end of the the robe, that filled the temple, one of the largest buildings in the ancient world. That, he didn't really see God, he just saw a figure on on a throne and just the hem of his robe filled the temple. You see what's trying to be conveyed here? God is big and awesome. Anyone watch the uh, coronation of King Charles III last night? Anybody? Okay, more than I thought. All right, good, good. I watched it, found myself watching it. And it was pretty awesome. I mean, it was interesting from a historical perspective. I love that stuff. And all all the, the things and elements that were used orbs and scepters and robes and I I was actually quite encouraged by how how many Bible readings there were and how much reference there was to Jesus and and serving true leaderships about uh, serving and not being served I loved that and uh, but there were some pretty weird things in there as well Um, lots of gold lots of root lots of gems lots of all that kind of stuff and it was pretty impressive okay even Charles pretty impressive but I tell you what to a point, to a point. He is just a man. Not so with God. The end of his robe filled the temple. So what Isaiah is witnessing is consistent with what we were talking about before. God is awesome, huge, awe-inspiring. Let's keep reading. Above him were seraphs, angels, heavenly beings, each with six wings. With two wings, they cover their faces. With two, they cover their feet. And with two, they were flying. What is going on here? This is different. Angelic beings hovering around this figure. They seem to be covering their eyes so as not to gaze upon the beauty and the majesty of God, covering their feet as a sign of humility. Verse 3, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So here we get a picture, right? Pretty amazing heavenly beings flying around, and they are singing a song. 
And here's this word, holy. They are declaring God is holy. Saying something three times is, is a Jewish way of symbolizing completeness. You are completely holy. Just imagine what Isaiah is experiencing. Can you put yourself there for a moment? Imagine what this experience would have been like. Overwhelming, underwhelming. I remember when I was about 10 years old, I went away with my family uh, up to the Blue Mountains and to, to a sort of resort, and I bumped into one of the rugby league stars of the day, Andrew Eddingshausen. I don't know if anyone will remember. I was small, right? He was a bit of a man mountain. I remember looking up to him. He was big and impressive. And I had one of his footy cards. You know, a bit of a hero of mine. And believe it or not, I had them on me and uh, was a bit obsessed. And I asked him to sign it and he did. He was you know, kind enough to sign it for me. And I was pretty impressed, pretty amazed. Went back to school and, uh, you know, I was you know, playing it up to my friends. Oh, I met E.T. We used to call him. I met one of my heroes. But they're like, what was it like meeting him? And I, you know, I remember thinking, um, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, as I thought about it more, I thought it was pretty cool, but honestly, a little bit underwhelming. No offense to him. I wonder if, if you've ever met one of your heroes, a celebrity, someone you looked up to. Sometimes it's a little bit underwhelming because we realize pretty quickly they're flesh and blood, just like us, right? What's the saying? Never meet your heroes. <laughs> This was not Isaiah's experience. He wasn't underwhelmed. He was overwhelmed. What did he say? What did he do? Let's keep reading. At the sound of their voices, that is the angelic beams, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. The temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah cries. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah, he's really experiencing the fireworks of God here. The voices of the angels shook the temple to its very foundations, filled with smoke, and Isaiah says, woe to me. Isaiah doesn't say, hey, God, what's going on? He doesn't say, in person, didn't really stack up to what I thought. He's overwhelmed. He's flattened, isn't he? He says, woe to me. And then what does he say? I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. What does that mean? Isaiah, in that moment, he, get, he catches a glimpse of God, more than a glimpse, a glimpse of God. And in that moment, he understands who he is compared to him. He sees God's utter perfection and holiness and he gains insight into himself. He is not like God. Although Isaiah, like all of us, we're made in the image of God, that image is, is marred, is marked by sin. He cries, woe to me, I'm ruined. Why? Because Isaiah realizes if he comes into contact with God, he's finished. I'm ruined. I'm finished. God is white, hot, pure, holy. Isaiah is not. And this brings us to a great question the Bible deals with from Genesis 3. How can a holy God be with his people? How is it possible? 
How can a holy God, a wonderful God, not marred by sin, not holy, lame, holy, awesome, how can he be with the people that he so loves? How can it be possible? How can it be possible? We'd burn up with his presence. We long to be with God, but we'd be destroyed like moths drawn to a flame. How can we be with God? Let's have a look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphs, that, that is the angelic beings, flew to me, to Isaiah, with a live coal, a burning coal in his hand, which he'd taken with, sorry, we'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. How can a holy God be with sinful people like you and me? The answer is this. God acts, right? Well, how can it be? Because of God. God sends one of the angels with a hot coal to purify Isaiah. That's what's happening there. Now, what did Isaiah do? Nothing. He's frozen with fear. What could he do? What could he possibly do to make things right between him and God? Nothing. And, and be encouraged here, folks. This is the beauty of the Christian faith, that we can do nothing to repair our relationship with God. And God knows this. And what does he do? He acts. He acts. He does something about it. Our God is a doer. He makes a way. And this takes us to our second point. Don't worry, the first point is the longest this morning. This takes us to a second point. Why should we hallow his name? Okay, what does it mean? Why should we hallow his name? There are lots of reasons. I could spend all morning talking about why God is worthy of our praise. Lots of reasons. I think, let's talk about this then. The various names for God given in the Bible, I think, helpfully point us in the right direction. Right? They carry different meanings, convey different aspects of his character. The Old Testament refers to God as Elohim, meaning God as the creative ruler. He created all things and he rules mercifully, justly and rightly. El Shaddai means God is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible for him. God revealed himself to Moses as Yahweh, meaning I am who I am. No one will stop who God always has been and will be. Yahweh Jireh means God who provides. And of course, most completely, most wonderfully, most beautifully, God is revealed in Jesus. And Jesus means God saves. That is who God is. It's the very fiber of his character. Why should we hallow his name? Why should we? Oh, friends. Sums it up beautifully. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Just like Isaiah needed to be cleansed from his sin, folks, so do we. Isaiah's was a one-time deal. We need a once-for-all solution. That solution is Jesus. Jesus means our God saves. He is worthy. Amen? He is worthy. I went to a concert recently. Love going to live music. 
and uh, the anticipation is so great. Uh, the house lights are on, you're waiting, and then the house lights go down, and everyone cheers in anticipation. Then the performer walks on, and everyone just automatically cheers, right? They're cheering for who they are before they've even played a note. They're just excited. And then, of course, in between every song, everyone's applauding based on what they have done. God in his infinite holiness is worthy of worship, our praise, of hallowing just because of who he is. Because he's the creator God, because he is powerful, almighty, because of who he is. But friends, how much more so is he worthy because of what he's done through Jesus Christ? God didn't see us lost in our sin, sit back and think all the best. Good luck with that. Here's the ladder. Try and make your way to me. No. Friends, he did something about it. This is the good news of the Christian faith, of the gospel, that Jesus came. He lived the perfect life we could never live, took the punishment our sin deserved on that cross so we could be with God. Here we see this great question answered. How can a holy and just God be with sinners? He himself in Jesus acts, taking the punishment, fulfilling his justice while showing incredible mercy. May this fuel our worship. We can approach that all-powerful, awesome God of the universe as Father. Two sides of the same coin. It's amazing. All-powerful, awesome God, loving Father. And we can do that because of Jesus. That's why we should hallow his name. Amen? Amen. Okay, finally, our last point. How do we do it then? How do we hallow his name? We've looked at what does it mean? Why should we do it? How do we do it? Three quick things. With our lips, with our actions, and our worship. With our lips. If we want to hallow God's name, it makes sense Part of that is with what we say, right? With what we say. It means we'll never want to take the Lord's name in vain, right? Use it as a swear word. We may have accidentally done that before, but we need to remember who God is, right? He is worthy of our reverence and our respect. Absolutely. Now, there are going to be people around us who do this, who take the Lord's name in vain. How do you feel when, when people do that around you? I think for people of faith, it's confronting and offensive. I, I worked in, in corporately for a number of years, and there's one person on my team that just blasphemed all the time, and I found it really confronting. In the end, it took me quite a while, but I plucked up the courage to speak to them about it and ask them politely to stop doing it. You, if someone in your life, maybe in the sporting team, work, family, whatever it is, does that, you might be, feel led to do that, not being prescriptive, but you might. But i tell you what we can do. We can pray. We can pray that others would come to know God as more than a swear word, but they'd come to know him as the true and living God, the kind, saving, forgiving Father. We can do that with our lips, and we can pray that others would give him the glory he deserves. How else? With our actions. 
truth is our actions matter, don't they? What we do matters. We are God's ambassadors here on earth. And whether we like it or not, when people know we're Christians, they're watching, right? When they know we, 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 we follow Jesus, they are watching our lives, whether we like it or not. <laughs> now, I don't think we need to be overly burdened with this, right? With the responsibility of carrying God's name necessarily. None of us lead perfect lives. But we are part of his family. How we act does reflect And the truth is too many people have done things in the name of God, the name of Jesus, that have nothing to do with him. So how we act, I think, does matter when we want his name to be hallowed. What we say, how we act. And what else? Let me finish on this. Let's talk about our worship. What do I mean by that? Well, to worship God means to give him our whole lives. That's what worship means. We can worship God no matter what we are doing. All the time, every day, in anything, we can worship God. Our lives are a living sacrifice, as Paul says in the book of Romans. But just for a minute, I want to talk about how we worship God together at church when we sing. Worship is is more than singing at church, but it certainly isn't less. You may not have much experience of church and, and you might actually wonder, yeah, why don't we spend a bit of time in church singing? You might not even like singing that much. That's okay. But you might be wondering, why do we do it? There is something special when we gather together on a Sunday and worship him in song together. It's special. We are hallowing his name together. That's what we're doing. The English word worship comes from the word worth-ship. That makes sense, doesn't it? Worth-ship, right? Which literally means to ascribe worth to something. So when we sing, right, we're remembering what God is worth and we're giving him what he's worth. We're remembering who he is and what he's done and then we're giving him praise because of that. Remembering what he's worth and giving him what he's worth. The songwriter Matt Redman, we sing a number of his songs, says this, when we face up to the glory of God, we find ourselves face down in worship. I like that. I remember playing at a conference years ago and uh, when, when I was in the band and, and we were playing, playing worship and, and performing and this one night another band was playing the worship and the speaker that was playing over the week was with us. Great guy, got to know him. He actually ended up being a bit of a mentor to myself and the band. His name was Richard. And during this time of worship, um, he, he wasn't next to me anymore. And I looked and he was just quietly, he'd gone down the front and he just completely prostrated himself, nose to the floor. I'd never seen anyone really do that before. And it wasn't for show, no one could really see and... I don't believe it was for show, but I was really struck by this. The person that everyone was revering as a great speaker was just laying flat before God. You know, there have been times in my life when I've been praying, maybe walking around or, or standing or sitting or whatever I was doing and just praying. And, and there are moments when I've had just the tiniest glimpse into the awesomeness and wonder of God. And the only response I I could do is kneel. I just felt the overwhelming sense of needing to kneel. 
And when we think about how worthy our God is of praise, isn't this entirely appropriate? I wonder what your attitude to to singing at church is. It's worth asking ourselves that, I think. Right? Are we thinking, what's for lunch? You might be thinking that right now. But it's worth thinking about, right? What we do here at church, hopefully, it's thoughtful. (laughs) We're not doing it just to go through the motions. We're doing it because we want to give God glory. What, what, what do you think about singing at church? I don't want to be prescriptive. I don't think it's right to do that because there's freedom. You can be exuberant when you sing. Put your hands up, dance if you want to. Unlikely, come on us North Shore folks, but hey, go for it. You can do that or you can be quiet and still. It doesn't matter. But what is important is to think about what we are doing. We are worshipping the true and living God based on who he is and what he's done. That is, that is important. It's worth thinking about. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to hallow the name of God. May your name be thought of as holy. To declare that his name is awesome by how we speak, how we live and how we honour him in our time together.